What's up, everybody? Welcome to First Wednesday. It's awesome to have you in the house. I want to say hello to everybody who's uh, streaming service tonight. It's great to have you with us as well. I'm excited for a brand new year. Y'all excited for a new year? Yeah. It's always good. God is so good to us how his mercies are new every morning, every day we get a fresh start, and uh, every week we get a fresh start, every month we get a fresh start, every year we get a fresh start, and I believe God has something fresh and new for you in this year, and I am very excited to kick it off in God's house together on this first Wednesday. I got a whole bunch of information, probably a lot more preaching than we'll have time to get through, but uh, I am excited to share a few things with you. I want to start by uh, recapping our word for the year and hope that we can kind of set our faith together as we enter in the 21 days of prayer. And then I'm gonna briefly touch on fasting and then briefly touch on prayer. And then I'm gonna spend the rest of our time together talking about how do we process, or how do we navigate unanswered prayer. For many of us, we're entering into another 21 days where maybe the list looks very similar to how it's looked multiple times through and kind of how do we navigate all of that. And hopefully, it'll be something here for everybody to leave with, a little bit of hope, a little bit of faith, a little bit of strength. Amen, everybody? All right, our word for the year is the word pursue. As I was praying over our church, as I shared this weekend, uh, really asking the Lord, man, the devil has tried to be pretty effective in stealing and killing and destroying relationships, marriages, job opportunities, school. I mean, there's just so many things that have been taken from our culture, from the body of Christ, from our nation. And I really felt like God brought me to this passage of Scripture where David was at his lowest moment in 1 Samuel, where everybody in his life had turned against him. We know his uh, family was gone. His future had been something that he had long given up on because he decided to take life into his own hands out of fear, moving to this place called Ziklag to try and protect his own life. And now that his family has been stolen, all his finances have been stolen, all of his friends have also turned against him. Here in this story in 1 Samuel, if you missed this weekend, I'd encourage you to jump online and check that out. But in verse 6, the Bible says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. He turned to God, and in the midst of that, it was a little bit of a personal revival for David. This is a moment that he recognizes, I actually can't protect myself, and if I keep trying to control my own life, I'm going to continue ending up in uh, dead-end streets just like this, where everybody in my life is gone and everybody has turned against me and some of you may have come into 2022 kind of feeling that way, like maybe you decided in 2020, maybe 2021, you'd take the reins of your own life because you were going to protect yourself and you were going to be safe. And then we come to the end of ourselves when we're not trusting God and fear is dominating our lives, that it steals everything from us. And unfortunately, it's happened to a lot of people in the world and a ton of people in the body of Christ. And for David, that was a personal revival moment. The Bible says he strengthened himself in the Lord. That word strengthen means that he took courage, that he found a boldness. And that's what we were talking about last year, that it's time for the body of Christ to find a spiritual backbone, to take a stand, to speak up and to speak out for the things that we know are right. It's not condemning. It's not mean. It's love to tell the world, hey, that's going to lead to death. Your hair's on fire. Like you... <laughs> You might want to put that out. That's going, be, that's going to bring some problems into your life. Well, David strengthened himself. He found that boldness in the Lord. And in this moment that all these people are ready to take his life, David gets this word from God in verse 8. As he inquires of the Lord, shall we pursue? Shall we overtake them? If we go, God, will you be with us? And the Lord answered him, pursue, 
for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. I believe that that's God's word for our church this year, that it is time to stop sitting in the corner of life and sucking your thumb. You are not a victim, you are a victor. Greater is he that lives on the inside of you than everything that you face in this world. It's time for us to get up and to pursue all that God has for us. Because the Bible says faith without works is dead. And too often times we're waiting on God while God is waiting on us. It's time for us to be men and women of God, strengthen ourselves in the Lord, turn to him and find the strength that we need so that we can pursue. That Hebrew word means to chase, to run after, to hunt. It's time to go after the blessings that God has for your life. And I'm excited about it. David saw a complete restoration in three different areas of his life and It's what I'm asking all of us to focus on as we enter into this prayer season together as a church. We're going to pursue our relationship with the Lord as David did. He turned to God. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And then he went and he recovered his family. And then he recovered all these finances that actually became the opportunity for him to send gifts to the elders of Israel. And immediately after Saul's death, just two days later, that political gift is what opened the door for leadership for David to come back and fulfill his destiny to be the king over Israel. I believe that there is a future that God has for your life. And some of us have felt like maybe it's too late. Maybe it's too far. Maybe it's passed me by. Maybe there's no opportunity. And I just want you to know that God wants to recover everything in your life that the devil has tried to steal from you, your relationship with him, your family, your future, whatever it is, it's time for us to pursue. So tonight we're going to focus on this first thought of just pursuing the Lord as we enter into this season of prayer and fasting, a scripture that I read this weekend and all throughout Christmas says, let us acknowledge the Lord, let us press on to acknowledge him. It's a sad reality that many believers live for days at a time without even acknowledging the existence of God. We don't even pause to pray. We don't give him the honor and the glory and the time that he deserves. But the Bible says if you'll do it, as surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains, that water the earth. God will always respond to that prayer. And I promise that as you press in to acknowledge him over the next 21 days uh, during this season of prayer, God is gonna reveal himself to you in a supernatural way. And it's the key to everything else. Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and then he will give you the desires of your heart. The thing that we have to do is to pursue God above everything else. And I believe it's important that we put him first in the first of our week and the first of our day in the first of our year, and that's why we are going to, as we always have at this church, uh, go through a time of fasting and prayer. For 21 days, starting January 8th, running through the 28th, we will be fasting and praying. And so I wanna kinda get you ready for all of that. If you've never fasted before, I'm gonna give you some easy, practical tools. There's a whole bunch of stuff available for you in the app, and I'll show you some of the resources as well. In fact, we've got these booklets available to you One of them is the seven steps to successful fasting and prayer. You can pick up that little booklet. And then we have this prayer devotional guide, this pray first. I want to encourage you to grab these resources if you've never been through them before. There's a digital version for you in the app. And then if you follow along throughout the fast during the app, you can get yourself a little streak going, and that'll make everybody happy, especially John Schwander. And so it'd be great (laughs) for you to use the technology that can support you on this spiritual journey because I think it's good for your spirit, it's good for your soul. And uh, as we jump into this 21 days though, we gotta be prepared. And that's why I love being able to have this first Wednesday to kind of get you ready because it takes some time to pray and to ask the Lord and kind of consider 
what this needs to look like. I don't know if you realize this, but when God turned over planet Earth to Adam and Eve, he gave them what the Bible calls dominion. I'm giving you dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the world. I want you to pursue all of it. I want you to multiply and be blessed. But what happened was Adam and Eve allowed their body and their soul to steal that dominion from them. When they violated God's word, they gave dominion over the earth back to the devil. And so now Jesus has come and he has conquered the devil and we have the opportunity to step back into that same dominion. But oftentimes, even as believers, even as followers of Christ, we willfully give up that dominion over this world and especially over our souls and our bodies because we allow them to call the shots. Let me take you to 1 Thessalonians for a minute, chapter five. It says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a couple of things I want you to, to see very quickly. I've taught on this a lot, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but I want you to know that just like God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you too are a triune being. There are three parts of you that make up you. All right, you are a spirit. That's the part of you that will live forever in eternity. You have a soul. That's your mind, your willpower, your emotions. And then you live in a body. That's the part of us that has all the goals of the stuff we're trying to accomplish this year. I want to lose weight. I want to get in shape. I want to get to the gym. I want to whatever, okay? So there are three parts of us. And I just want you to know that there is a war raging for control between these three parts of you at every point in your life. And any time you're allowing your soul or your body to rule your life, you are giving up dominion. Whenever the spirit is not controlling your life, you find yourself in trouble. You find yourself on this emotional roller coaster. You're really happy, then you're really depressed. You're all uh, about it one day, and then you just can't handle it the next. And you're flying off rage monster against people who love you in your life. That's when your soul is in charge. When your body's in charge, you're eating the entire bag of potato chips. You're eating all the ice cream. Come on, it's a Christmas holiday. Come on, somebody, be honest in God's house, right? And so it's really positioned well, not only to give God the first, but coming out of a season where most of us have probably let our lives get a little out of balance, what we have to do is we have to silence the soul, we have to silence the body, and we have to increase the spirit so that we are well balanced for victory going into this next year. It'll be the best year of your life if it's the best year of your life spiritually, because the Bible says, keep in step with the spirit and do not gratify the lust of the flesh. The only way that you overcome the sinful nature in your life is by letting the spirit part of you be the strongest part of you. God's spirit has to control your life. And the problem with even a lot of Christians, they're, they're saved and they're on their way to heaven, but they are living a miserable, defeated Christian existence because the soul and the body is controlling their life and they're eating whatever they want, whenever they want, and they're saying whatever they want, whenever they want. They're letting their emotions and their, their body call the shots. And when left to themselves, those two parts will destroy you. They will destroy your life. The way that you have the greatest level of peace and greatest level of comfort and greatest level of joy is that the Holy Spirit controls your life. Why? Because the byproduct of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. You have love, you have patience, you have peace, you have joy and all the things, okay? So what we're doing in a fast is we are realigning some things in life. It's going to be difficult and your flesh and your soul will scream at you and it's designed to be that way. If it's not uncomfortable, you're not doing it right. So don't fast broccoli, all right? Everybody knows we all hate broccoli. 
Just going without steamed vegetables. I'm just being real spiritual here. So let me take you very quickly through the different types of fasts. There's all different types of ways that you can participate. One of them is what you call a complete fast. That's where you drink water or maybe just vegetable broth or juices for 21 days. And that is a supernatural fast. You need to make sure that you consult doctors before you jump into that and know what you are doing. It doesn't make you more spiritual. It has to be led by the Spirit, all right? So don't get legalistic about it. Then you have what's called a selective fast. This is the only way that Daniel ever fasted. He would cut out certain types of food. I'm not going to eat meat that was dedicated to idols. I'm not going to drink wine. I'm not going to do these specific things. David, or excuse me, Daniel would cut out specific things. We often call that a Daniel fast. It's a selective fast. You say, I'm going to do without sweets. I'm going to go without some type of carbs or bread. I'm going to cut out uh, you know, processed foods, or I'm going to not do energy drinks, or uh, we had a girl, I've told you this several times, we had a girl in our college ministry back at Church of the Highlands, she fasted Starbucks. I was like, how are you going to do without coffee? She's like, oh no, I'm drinking coffee. Just not drinking Starbucks. Okay. That's, that's deep. So you can cut certain things out. The goal is not that you Rank yourself more spiritual in the level of fasting you have. The goal is that you're disciplining your flesh and you're silencing the voice of the world for the purpose of rebalancing your spirit to be in charge of your life. So then you have a partial fast that would be similar to like what's called a Jewish fast where you would go without breakfast and lunch and maybe eat the evening meal, but there's no restrictions on what you would eat. Oftentimes, Jewish people will fast that way. They'll, they'll not eat anything from sun up to sundown, and then it's just in the evening that they eat. And then the last one is a soul fast, which I would strongly encourage you to incorporate some type of, I think you need to have some type of both. You need to discipline your body and discipline your soul. A soul fast would be that you're going to go without the pleasures of how you entertain yourself. So it could be you're going to silence Instagram or Facebook or the news media, or you're going to go without uh, you know, I don't know what it would be, text messages or just evening television or Netflix. There are different things that you can silence in your soul that will really bring clarity to your life. You know what you're going to find out is that the 24-hour news cycle really has nothing to say. Look, I'm a news junkie, but if you ever take two or three days off and then turn it back on, you're like, oh, we're still talking about this? Really, three days later, that was like, I thought it was breaking news at the top of the hour. It's actually the same thing you just told me 75 times. You can go without it. I, what I have learned is that you can turn off the television, turn off the news media, silence all of Facebook and Instagram, and guess what? The world keeps on moving, and your soul will be a whole lot healthier. Now, initially, you're going to be upset, but what you're going to do eventually throughout the 21 days is find that you waste a lot of time on really nothing. Don't tell me you don't have time to do stuff. Everybody has time. We're just spending on stupid stuff. Hello. I know I'm not your friend, but I am your pastor. And I am doing a good job right now. Silence your soul. Listen to me. It's important. It's important. You're going to find that you're going to come out of this season feeling so refreshed and so in tune with the presence of God because you're going to silence some things and you need to be led what that looks like, because some people have different trigger points than others. I'm not even on social media, so I can't fast social media, so there are different ways that I'll be silencing the world, different ways to discipline the flesh, 
And everybody has different dietary restrictions. You have different health issues you're navigating. And so it doesn't matter what you do. All that matters is that you do something that participates in the spirit of fasting. And when you do that, you're going to be disconnecting those parts, that soul and that body part of you from running your life. And it's going to be a wonderful result as the Spirit's power grows in your life. You're going to find that you're more in tune with the voice of the Holy Spirit. The words of Scripture are going to jump off the page. The moments of worship are going to seem so much richer that at the end of it, and it happens every year, we question, should we ever even go back? Why would I introduce these other things into my life? Because I'm, I'm enjoying the Lord so much. And then after a couple hours, everybody goes to Starbucks and we all fall right back into it, okay? Now, let's talk about prayer very quickly because fasting is something that seems intimidating and it's really not and there's a lot of resources to help you along with all of these things. But then a lot of people don't consider themselves to be like prayer warriors. There's probably very few people here that would say, you know, my number one problem is I just start praying and then hours later, I find myself on the floor and my family can't find me and no one knows what's happened. No, typically the problem is that we close our eyes we pray every word we know, and we think we have travailed in prayer, and 38 seconds has passed. <laughs> we feel intimidated by it all. So let me show you this little passage. Jesus gave us a couple pointers. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, when you pray. He didn't say if you pray. He said when you pray. Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. I assure you that is all the reward they'll ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you. Pray to your Father secretly. And then your Father, who knows all secrets, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do because they think their prayers are answered by repeating their words again and again. Don't do that, Jesus says, because your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask. Three simple keys for prayer here out of Jesus' little ministry time to his disciples, because the disciples were like, man, we don't know, the prayer that we see those Pharisees doing does not seem very life-giving. The time that Jesus spent with his father seemed very refreshing. So they're like, would you teach us how to do that? That seems different, and it is different. So the first thing is that you're just gonna have to be real. The first thing that we mess up in prayer is that we try and put on some type of religious show. We feel like God's not impressed with our prayer if we don't use big words and if we don't do it in places where people see us. And, and I'm just telling you that if, you're, if any part of your prayer life is for the attention of others or for the praise of others, the Bible says that's all the reward. Enjoy that moment because that's all you get. Other people thinking you're great. And they're not controlling your destiny, okay? So it's important that you impress the Lord and he says, just don't make it a big deal. Don't get on the street corner and act like you're better than everybody else. Stop being all religious and pharisaical about it, acting like you've got this wonderful big prayer life and you're, I'm tired of, I'm sick and tired of Christians with spiritual arrogance who think they're better than everybody else because their religious works. God doesn't look at it that way. God loves that private prayer, that humble prayer that just is like, Lord, I don't know what to say. But I just need, I got some things I got to get off my chest. You know, you, there's nothing you could say to God that he would be like, seriously? <laughs> Myself. <laughs> he already knows what you need before you ask. So when you talk to him about it, he already knows everything. There's nothing hidden from him. So just be real. 
Just be authentic in that moment. We think we have to pray in the King James. We think we have to recite prayers that are rehearsed. We think we have to, the spiritual level is the thee, vows and the thuses. And how many times do we say the Lord God? Praise the Lord God. We just thank you, Lord God. Lord Jesus, Lord God, for today, Lord God. You're so faithful, Lord God, Lord Jesus, Lord God. Little 10 pound, six ounce baby Jesus. Just, he don't care. Just be real. The second thing is you gotta be relaxed. Be relaxed. Jesus said, guess what's best? Don't do it in front of anybody because you're gonna feel weird anyway. You're not praying for them or probably even about them. So just go away where nobody can see you. Find a closet. Find, find a quiet space. Find something that's away from everybody else. And when we do our 21 days, we turn the lights down. We turn the music up. And we encourage everybody, find a place that's comfortable. Some people like to pace. Some people like to sit. Some people lay down. It's just up to whatever is your posture of prayer. The most important thing is that you just get comfortable because it's supposed to be this comfortable exchange with the Lord. We're just having a conversation with him, and so we have to find a place that we can be vulnerable. If you're gonna cry before the Lord, you need to feel comfortable to cry between you and God because sometimes the weight of life is heavy and sometimes we need to weep in his presence. If you wanna laugh, you should feel comfortable to laugh. If you wanna talk to him, you should feel comfortable doing that. And you shouldn't be intimidated by the words that you're saying because this is a conversation between you and a loving father. My children don't... They, they're not like, I don't really know how to say this, and I'm so nervous to bring this up with you, and I'm not sure if you could handle what I'm about to ask. Like, they just are like, hey, can I, you know, like, they just ask questions. Why? Because I'm their dad, and there's not this weird wall between us. It should be the same thing with God. He's not looking for a performance. He's looking for something real, something relaxed. It's a conversation. So get to a place where you can relax. That's why Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray because he was by himself. It wasn't a performance. It was just authentic. And then, and then the last thing is just be revealing. Don't go through rehearsed prayers. Don't make sure that you write every perfect word down so you're enunciating things. And it's, it's okay to have a list of things you want to pray through. It's okay to have a guide. And we provide those for you. Give structure to your prayer. And, and those, I'm all for those. And they can truly enhance your prayer time. But the most important thing is that you're not like, trying to hold back. There's nothing in your heart, like I said before, that God can't handle. And so it's got to be just this net. Even before you ever ask, God already knew what you needed. So prayer isn't informing God of our need. Prayer is identifying to God that we're aware of our need for him. God doesn't need you to pray because he needs to know what you need. God needs you to pray because he needs to know that you know you need him to answer what you need. So prayer is just like, yeah, you're right. I need you, and I'm really struggling, and, and it's frustrating, and I don't understand, and God, I'm, I'm, you can be honest with him. I'm mad at you for not answering that prayer, and I'm frustrated about this situation, and God, I need that to work out, and I, I don't know how to navigate that relationship, and I don't know what to do in my job, and I'm not sure about my, just be honest. Why? Because he already knows. He already knows right before we pray exactly what it is that we would pray about and all the things that we would need. So there's nothing that we should try and protect. And if you'll take that just natural conversation, that back and forth with the Lord, I promise you that it'll totally revolutionize your prayer life. And as we silence the world and increase the voice of the Holy Spirit through honest exchanges with the Lord, 
You're going to come out of this 21 days stronger than you have ever been in every area of your life. You know that when your spirit's strong, it actually makes your soul strong. It actually makes your body strong. You are at peace, and now physically you are strong. The, the anxiety and the fear and the worry and the depression and everything else that attacks all those other parts of your life, go. They bow their knee at the name of Jesus, and everything in your life gets better when your spirit is strong. And so we've got to silence the world. Silence the soul, silence the flesh, increase the spirit, and pursue God. Now, I want to spend the last 20 minutes or so that we have together talking about what do you do, for some of you who've been here for a while, maybe this is the third or fourth year, or maybe the 10th year that you've gone through 21 days of prayer and fasting, and then you add on top of that the 21 days of prayer and feasting, praise God, that we do in August. <laughs> You're like, man, i got some things on my list that I have asked and I have asked and I have asked and I just don't think prayer works because they haven't come through. What do you do when you're at that place where you're convinced that maybe this is not worth the effort? I want to remind you that over 20 times in the New Testament, we're simply told to ask. God wants you to ask. I hope you know that. In fact, Billy Graham once said, heaven is full of answers to prayers for which no one ever bothered to ask. I wonder how many things you actually need in your life that you have never asked God for. The Bible says you have not what you need because you didn't ask God. And yet maybe some of you have said, I've asked time and again, and I feel like Job. Job says in chapter 30, I call to you, O God, but you never answer. When I pray, you're not paying attention. Maybe some of you feel that way. Like, man, maybe prayer does work, for, kind of like what Adam said. Prayer works for everybody else. God will heal everybody else. God will restore everybody else. Everybody else pursues, and it'll happen for them, but it's not going to happen for me. I have faith for you, but not faith for me. That's how Job felt. And yet, in Jeremiah 33, the Bible tells us, call to me, and I will answer you. That's God's promise. So where's the disconnect? How can we live this life where sometimes it feels like God is unresponsive and doesn't answer and yet still live with the faith that the Bible says, I'm going to answer? Is that false advertising? Is God lying to us? Are we doing something wrong? Is there something, some magical potion? Because that's what we do, right? We look for solutions. We look for, like, give me methods. And maybe if I drink kale juice for 21 days, maybe that's the tr like, key. I can promise you kale is never the key to anything. <laughs> I think when God made kale, he was like, whoops. Yeah, we'll just leave it. So I'm gonna give you five things to remind you, just kind of build your faith. As we head into 21 days, maybe you got some things that have been on the list several times. Jot these things down. Number one, I wanna remind you that God does not have blind spots. There are not things that God doesn't see. Nothing has ever occurred to God. There's nothing in your life that he doesn't see. In fact, Hebrews chapter four says it this way. He knows about everyone, everywhere, Everything about us is bare and wide open to the all-seeing eyes of our living God. Nothing can be hidden from him. Isn't it amazing to think about for a minute? There's nothing in your life that God doesn't know. There's no thought that you've meditated on. There's no thing that you've ever entertained. There's no something that you've ever looked at or a conversation that you've ever had that God's in the dark over. There are no secrets about your life. So God doesn't have blind spots about you, but God doesn't have blind spots about your future and about his plans for your life either. God, I, I don't know about you, but I'm an intuitive kind of a guy. And unfortunately, it drives my poor wife crazy because she is a wonderful planner, a brilliant woman when it comes to systems. And man, she makes everything in our church and our home 
runs smoothly, and I am like, let's make it up as we roll, baby. We can make some great decisions in the moment. I will respond best when I don't know what's happening, and it drives her crazy. God's not doing that with your life. God sees the beginning from the end. He knows everything that's going on, and he's working out a plan behind the scenes. And as we mature in this journey of faith, we'll come to find out it's not that God wasn't listening to that prayer. It's that his delays are not denials. It's just sometimes a redirection because he has a better plan than what we were seeing at the time. It's not like, hey, God, why don't you answer this? Because I've got the prayer and the solution if you just do what I say. You ever been through that? Like, I know the plans I have for Dave, says the Dave. (laughs) They're pretty good plans for my life, and if I could just get God on my page, everything would work out. But God has a different plan, and eventually, as you mature, you'll look back and thank God for unanswered prayer. Sometimes you're asking for things that you don't need. You ever been back to a high school reunion and been like, praise God for that? (laughs) Woo! Dodged a bullet on that one. So many tears for nothing, right? (laughs) Proverbs chapter two says it this way. He guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. God doesn't have blind spots, and if he's not answering your prayer, it's because you don't need it right now, or God's got something better for you. We have to understand it's not that God's in the dark. Number two, God does have a better idea. If he's not answering your prayer, it's because he's got something better for you in mind. Isaiah 55 Y'all know it. This plan of mine, God says, is not what you would work out, which is really frustrating to me because, again, I've got some pretty good plans. Neither are my thoughts the same as yours, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts are higher than yours. I highlighted ways there because I want to remind you that God has more than one way to answer a single prayer. He has lots of ways to touch your life. He has lots of ways that he can accelerate you. You like, just think about in the area of finances. Yes, God wants to bless you, but God doesn't always bless you just by increasing your income. That's only one way. Sometimes God will decrease your expenses. Sometimes God will bring free stuff into your life. Sometimes God will make your old stuff last longer than it should. God will do all kinds of things. He has ways in every area of our lives to get us to where he wants us to be. And so, We have to resign ourselves to the fact that we are not God. Hebrews says it this way. These were all commended for their faith, and yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better. God had planned something better. So we go through Hebrews chapter 11. The first half of the chapter is like they overthrew governments, and they ruled with justice, and they shut the mouths of lions. And these people are like heroes of old. We preach about them every weekend. And yet the back half of the chapter gives this honorable mention to people whose names we won't know until we get to heaven, who got sawed in two, and they never got the promise. They got thrown in jail. We never heard their testimony. The Bible never recorded their names, and yet the Bible says God had something better. But God's better is not usually what our better is. Maybe God's got something better. You're praying for a specific outcome, but God has a different plan in mind. Like, I gotta believe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego prayed, God, let us not go to the fiery furnace. We will never bow, but you'll have to throw us in. And when they're getting thrown in, they're probably like, why did we say that? (laughs) 
this is not the right plan. When Daniel got thrown into the lion's den, I have to believe his prayer was, God, kill all the lions. God, free me from this edict. And yet God didn't have the plan of rescuing Daniel before the lion's den. He had the plan of shutting the mouths of the lions. God's plan is different. Paul wanted to go to Rome to preach the greatest crusade the world had ever seen. And instead, he wound up in jail. Not because God didn't love him, but because God said, let's not just impact the city. How about we impact the world for generations after? I don't need you to preach. I need you to write. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Wasn't Paul's plan. But how many of y'all know it was better? We know his name today and live our lives based on the Holy Spirit-inspired words that he wrote in two-thirds of the New Testament because God had a better plan. So I don't know what God's up to in your life, but if he's not coming, uh, if the, the thing that you're praying for is not coming to pass, if it's not being fulfilled, it's because God has a better plan. And it may not be better from your point of view at this point in your life, we just have to trust God. Why? Because God, number three, always has an unseen purpose. God has a bigger purpose. God's always working behind the scenes to not just answer the prayer that we're praying, but to navigate and orchestrate his will here in the earth. In Isaiah chapter 46, it says, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. You know that God's not up in heaven going, well, now we can't get that done because the devil blocked that path. Shucks. <laughs> no, God's like, I'm going to get my stuff done. My purpose is going to come to pass. No, it doesn't matter what the devil throws you away. It doesn't matter who attacks you or what it looks like. At the end of the day, God's plan for your life will stand if you'll just be faithful to him. God's working a purpose out behind the scenes. So Paul said, therefore, if I get some pad, we do not lose heart for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, I just want to pause for a minute and say his troubles were not light and momentary. They were very heavy and they lasted a long time. Paul had everybody in his life hating him. People were literally trying to kill him at every turn. He got chased out of city after city. There was one time that they drug him out to the edge of town and they picked up rocks and threw them at him until they thought he was dead. You know what Paul did? He climbs out from under the pile of rubble, walks back into town and starts preaching the gospel to the people that tried to stone him to death. That's a big problem. Y'all drag me out in the parking lot and throw rocks at me. I'm not coming back. That's done. I'm retiring. <laughs> but Paul said, I've got this perspective about it. These, these things that I'm going through, no matter how long they last and how painful they feel, God's got a bigger purpose. This is light and momentary compared to the eternity that I'm headed to. So this is a battle for perspective. I'm going to look at the right thing. I'm not fixing my eyes on what is seen because what is seen, it's gonna pass. But what is unseen, this spiritual world, the, the, the life to come and the return of our Savior, that's what's eternal. That's what actually matters. And that's what I'm gonna keep my focus on because I know what my life is about. And it's not about this life, it's about the life to come. I'm not worried about what happens here. I'm not worried about the outcome of these prayers. I'm going to be faithful to pray them, but I'm going to know that God is working out a plan and a purpose. Sometimes we don't understand God's purpose. You know, when your kids are young, they don't like the word no. And you have to take them through, just trust me because it's no. And then you take them through, let me give you the why behind my no. 
But the greatest maturity in your child is when you've developed the trust that you can tell them no and they respect it. Because they're now growing into that adulthood stage where they don't always have to have the why, they just trust your leadership. I just want you to know spiritually, the mark of true maturity is when you can handle what you don't understand. Spiritual maturity is not you knowing more than everybody else. Spiritual maturity is you're all right when you're in the dark and God says, look, I just need you to be faithful to this and I know you don't understand and I know that you don't see and I know it's uncomfortable and I know it could be confusing and maybe it even seems painful. Maybe people are throwing stones at you, but I just need you to stay faithful and you just say, okay, I don't understand it. Man, we've been through all kinds of stuff for the last two or three years that we have been led to do that I can't tell you to this day I know why we did it. I don't know outside of God leading us to do it. Someday I pray that we'll have clarity, but I'm just going to stay faithful to whatever God tells us to do. Why? Because I don't care what happens in this life. I'm not living for this life. I'm not living for your approval or the government's approval or for the media's approval. I don't care what people think. I am living for the audience of one. And when I pass from this life to the next, I want to hear good job, faithful servant. I just want to do what God's called me to do in this life. God has a purpose that he is working out. And I don't care if I see it. I don't care if I agree with it. I don't care if I understand it. I'm just going to trust him because he is God and I am not. These light and momentary troubles will pass. I am living for an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Heaven and hell hangs in the balance of what we do together in this life. And that is all that matters. God has a purpose that we don't see. I got two more and then we'll go. Number four, everything that God does is motivated by love. You know that. God doesn't do stuff or withhold things in your life because he doesn't love you. Oftentimes it's because he does. The Bible says all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. God has never forsaken you and God has never abandoned you. God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And we have to settle in our hearts that if God is not doing that, if God is not moving that, if God is not involved in that, it's because he loves me. Oftentimes I withhold things from my children that they ask for, not because I don't love them, but because I do. Candy every moment of your life at two is not good for you. Little Thunder is obsessed with fruit roll-ups. They own him right now. <laughs> Nobody, you can't have seven fruit roll-ups. It's just not, it's because I love you. It's not because daddy hates you. It's because I care for you. Sometimes God tells us no because what we're asking for is actually not even healthy for us. We have to resign ourselves that God is a loving God. He's a gracious God. He's a faithful God. And Romans chapter 8 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good, those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And I've said it often. I'll say it again. If it's not good, that just means God's not done. God will turn it for the good. Why? Because he loves us. So if things aren't opening, if opportunities aren't happening, if doors are closing, it's because God loves you. Not because he doesn't love you, but the devil will get in your ear and try and convince you, well, God just doesn't love you enough. And that's why these things aren't working out. Here's the most important one as we close. Number five, I want you to know that while God doesn't always answer prayer the way we want him to, God does always give us grace. God always gives us grace. 
I love this passage. It gives me so much strength in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. Like Paul, Paul knew about things to come and, and he had seen heaven and all the angels and, and, and these creatures that worshiped in front of God in the throne room. He, he had such revelation of what's happening in the world, such a picture about what Christ came to do and what would happen in the body of Christ. And here he is writing these letters and establishing these churches, promoting the gospel. He was a pretty big deal. So he says, because I had all of this responsibility, God gave me some things to keep me humble. There was given me, he says, a thorn in my flesh. We don't know what that is. Some people speculate that it was some type of habitual sin he couldn't overcome. Some people felt like maybe it was the Judaizers that would always sweep in and undo his good preaching and ministry by introducing all this legalism to the congregations. And then Paul would have to circle back and try and get him out of all that stuff. But whatever it was, there was something that was tormenting his life. A messenger of Satan to torment me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I love the fact that Paul had an area of his life that he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he was confused and he was frustrated and he was saying, God, what is wrong with you? Why can't you answer this prayer? If you really love me, you'd take this pain out of my life. You would maybe remove these people, maybe remove this weakness, this area, this thing, this trauma, this whatever I'm going through, God, would you just get rid of it? And he prayed and he prayed, and God kept telling him the same answer, which means Paul was pretty hard-headed like the rest of us. God continued to say to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I love this thought that Paul continued to pray this prayer, God, I have this problem, I want this outcome. I have this problem, I need this outcome. God, I've got this issue, I need you to take it away from me. This is distracting, it's ruining me. It's a weakness in my life, God, I need out of it. And God says, look, you don't need the answer to that prayer. What you need is more of me. What you've got to recognize is the grace that I have given you in this moment of weakness because that weakness is what drives you to God. Some of you are praying that God would take care of this area of your life, but I often wonder the motivation behind our prayer. Are you praying because you truly want to be a better follower of Christ, or are you praying for that to be removed so that you no longer actually need him? Maybe it's that weakness. Maybe it's that tendency. Maybe it's that relationship that actually drives you to your knees. Maybe it's that area of your life that you're tormented by that keeps you humble, that keeps you pursuing God. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to Paul saying, hey, you don't need the answer to that prayer. What you need is grace. Because it doesn't matter what torment comes in your life. It doesn't matter what pain you're facing. It doesn't matter what weakness that you have. God's power is available to you. And what you have to lean into is the grace that God gives you. Because there's nothing in your life that you encounter that God hasn't given you the strength to walk through. So it doesn't matter what you have prayed for, and it doesn't matter whether God is going to answer that prayer during the 21 days or he does not. What matters is that right in the midst of wherever you at, God has given you the grace to not give up. God has given you the strength if you'll let it drive you to him. In the midst of all that weakness, that's where God's power is made perfect. We'll close with this. Psalm chapter 9 says it this way. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken 
those who seek him. The reality is if we'll just pursue him, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all the other things will be added to you as well. Church, this is the season for us to press in. It's time for us to pursue the Lord. Let's strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Doesn't matter what you're facing, doesn't matter what you're walking through, doesn't matter if your prayer is answered in these 21 days or not. What you need to know is that God loves you. He's got a great plan for your life. He may have something better than the answer that you're praying for. And whether he answers it or not, he has given you the grace to walk through it. There's strength for every day. We'll just call in the name of the Lord. Let me pray for you and then we'll go. Father, we thank you for how good you are and for how faithful you are. Thank you for a brand new year. As we pray and prepare for the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to every one of us. We thank you for a season of breakthrough and victory as we break the will of our soul and our flesh, as we tell this world it is not controlling us, it's not in charge of us. Father, we thank you that as we pursue you, as we seek your face, as we fall on our face in prayer and cry out to God that you will answer us and you will strengthen us, help us to learn how to keep in step with the Spirit. And Lord, as we enter into this season of maybe putting the same things on the list, we thank you that we have a different perspective this time around, that you are just and you are loving and that you've got a great plan and a great purpose for our lives. And God, tonight we resolve in our hearts not to look for the answer to the prayer, but to look for the grace that sustains us as we wait. God, we thank you that you will work out your plan for our lives and for the lives of all those around us. We place our trust in you. Help us tonight to fix our eyes, not on what is seen, the circumstances of life, but on the things that are unseen, because that's what is eternal. We thank you for the grace that you give us to live every moment for the life to come. Help us to leverage all we have and all we can to make the biggest impact possible in 2022 for your kingdom and for your glory. What an honor it is to serve you. We love you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, would you give God praise? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless.